I know Glenn and I have spoken about it on the Canine Paradigm like way back um, that with our, one of our French Bulldogs when we transitioned him from kibble to raw. The change in his behaviour, like his whole demeanour went from like this just, I don't know, depressed little man um, to just having so much energy and just being so vibrant. Like he's, it's like he just came out of his shell um, all of a sudden. And, you know, over a few weeks, we're both sort of looking at each other going, what's wrong with um, Opie? And it's just that he had more energy. He was more um, excited about life. And and I do, I see that with clients' dogs as well. And so if I've got a dog in for a consult that's got behavioural issues, um, one, we look at thyroid and, you know, two, we try and get them into a more species-appropriate, less inflammatory sort of diet, um, making sure they're getting all their essential fatty acids. So that's huge for, you know, cognition and learning and behaviour. Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host, Panos Anagnostu. And I'm your co-host, Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, welcome Narelle. Hello. Hi, guys. I've been looking forward to this episode for a long time now, and I've been following all your work f- for some time, so really, really grateful to have you on. Thanks for making the time. No, it's good. I really appreciate um, if you've been asked, so thank you for having me. And there's lots to talk about. We had a few tech issues at the start, but yeah, Glenn, Glenn got us set up, so we're all good, ready to go. <laughs> so does that mean if anything goes wrong, we can just blame Glenn? Yeah, we'll get Glenn in. It's just an excuse to get him back in just so we can say hello. <laughs> I just spent a week with him not long ago at the NDTF course, so I'm sure he's sick of me already. Oh, no, he loves, Glenn loves the NDTF students. So, um, yeah, I mean, you would have seen that when you were with him for the week. He loves what he does. When I was up on the course, I found out his nickname for Panos is Sleepy Boy. And I said, why do you call him Sleepy Boy? And he goes, because he's a good boy when he's asleep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's better than some of the other names he has for friends, like Horny Dom and things, yeah, that's true. things like that. <laughs> Horny Dom. I, th- I, think, I think I got away with that lightly, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I've, I've, actually, I think we should mention to everybody that you've, got, you've just started your own podcast. You want to plug that for everyone before we get into the nuts and bolts of a few questions we've got? Sure. So, it's um, natural health for people and pets. And because as, as a clinical naturopath and nutritionist, I do treat um, people and dogs. So, I'm across both of them. So, the podcast is, um, you know, every topic you know there might be dogs one week there might be people health problems the next week so people can find that uh on my facebook page natural health for people and pets um and apple itunes and you know most of the the subscriptions for podcasts they'll be able to find that too yeah yeah awesome i've listened to a few episodes it's great um there's some stories in there which we can probably get to a little bit later as we explain i guess your your background and your journey, you know, in your career. Yeah. So, to steal a line from Glenn and Pat, let's do the back. Let's do the origin story. Where is uh, what's what's your background, Narelle? How do, how did you how did you start in all of this? 
Well, my the back back story is that I've been a research scientist my whole sort of adult career um, in one form or another. And the, over the years, over the decades now, that has just morphed from, you know, mainstream you know, research and working for a pharmaceutical company and it's progressively got more focused on natural health and nutrition for people initially. Um, and, you know, then there just came a turning point where I'm like, wow, I'm spending all this time and energy and, you know, helping people and completely ignoring the dogs in my life because um, we've always had, between Glenn and I, when we met, he had four dogs, I had two dogs. So it was like the Brady Bunch coming together <laughs> and but you know we fed them just standard kibble we just did everything you know the way you sort of told to do it and it suddenly clicked one day that you know a lot of our dogs died of cancer that you know there's something better that we can be doing for them so I shifted my uh, focus um, and did some more education and training for natural health and nutrition for pets so um, yeah it's been a journey it's, it's been quite a journey. It's quite a natural progression, isn't it? Because you you, you have that stu- that um, yeah academic background in nutrition and like being a nutritionist and a dietitian, right? So you have that human side, uh, but then obviously you're so involved with dogs in in the life that you live with Glenn. And yeah. you know, for people who don't know, like um, you know, living um, you know, managing the the pet resorts and and living amongst that. So obviously, massively involved with dogs. I guess it was a natural, um, yeah, natural progression. progression like I said, yeah. yeah. And I probably should, you know, I, I didn't really explain my backstory well. <laughs> I should just clarify. I am a clinical naturopath, nutritionist, and herbalist. So I'm not a dietitian. Um, that is a bit different. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I just don't want people to think I'm something that I'm not. Um, so I've done a Bachelor of Health Science in naturopathy and um, a Bachelor of Health Science in Agricultural Science and a lot of stuff in between. But I just call myself a naturopath now. Yeah. Well, well, look, I think to get – because I've listened to um, – well, I listened to the first two episodes of your podcast so far and I'm, I don't know if there's another one out already – but if you want, if anyone wants to listen to the full backstory, because yeah. you, you've got quite a lot of um, knowledge and research up your hands, and 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 um, you, you've put so much time and effort into it, listen to episode one of of Narelle's podcast, and yeah. you'll get a good backstory. And then that's how I want people to start listening to you, because you've been on the Canine Paradigm a few times now, yeah. and and a couple of Patreon episodes, and I've listened to those, and every single time I listen to any nutritionist or any nutrition information, my mind's blown and then also I get so overwhelmed that it almost feels like I don't want to do any of it because it's I don't want to screw it up yeah. but also I know how important it is and I'm sure you probably get that a lot from your clients or people that you talk to and giving advice is that it's, it's not just complex and complicated but also it's so different for each individual so you know what do you tell people when they say things like yeah, that? Yeah gosh I still get overwhelmed by all the information out there that I'm reading and learning it's just never ending um and it's true. I'm very much into individualized treatment, so I don't believe in sort of a one-size-fits-all protocol, which makes life really busy when I spend my Sunday afternoons doing, you know, individualized yeah. treatment plans for my clients. But um, but whether it's a human client or a dog client, like we're all so different um, genetically, biochemically, our environments, and all of that's going to impact on how someone responds to um, any 
intervention, whether it's supplements or diet um, or lifestyle, you know, suggestions. So, but you may not want to listen to my third one, Panos. It's, um, it talks about sugar and how bad that is for the immune system. So I don't know if you've got a sweet tooth or not. If you do, yeah, oh, you may dear. want to avoid that. I do. <laughs> I'm not too bad, actually. I prefer savory, but look, I I think also it's important to um to to keep listening, even though it's really uncomfortable. Because if you can just change one choice every day, yeah. and then those decision making then flow over to the next day, and then also thinking about our dogs will eat anything. Most mm-hmm. dogs will just eat anything you give them, and I think it's really important that they can't say, "Hey, I feel really lethargic after that," mm-hmm. or That's "I can't true. be focused." So yeah. I think it's up to us to do the right thing, and um. We had a few questions. So Jonathan um, had emailed me or emailed us on the Life With Your Dog podcast um, um, email and he asked the two questions and he wanted a nutritionist to come on and you were already on our list before we even got started. So it was a good opportunity to get you in there. So then because obviously people are asking, yeah, you're giving a lot of behavior advice, but there's other components. There's, you know, obviously what we're feeding our dogs and then also like vet advice. So, um, so yeah, so now we're, we're actually trying to genuinely – um, address life with your dog doesn't just come through training. It comes through what we're feeding them. And, mm. and I actually, so I used to feed my dogs. Actually, no, I think I've tried every diet for my dogs. Back in the day, it was just standard kibble from Coles. Then it morphed into like, I'd cook like l- kangaroo with vegetables and, and rice and eggs. And then I'd do chicken and rice with mixed with this and that. And now I'm, I'm using, I'm raw feeding my dogs 80% of the time. I'd say they still get, um, kibble and, since doing that, actually, spades used to have really bad dermatitis, um, flea allergies, and since going on a raw food diet, I believe and I've seen that he hasn't – first of all, I haven't had to flea treat him except for last summer he, he got fleas, but the year before, like three years before that, never got fleas. He seemed healthier. He's almost 10. He's coming to work with me every day. He hasn't had any hot spots in the last few years, and I think I contribute that to eating a, a more healthier, cleaner diet. Oh. And but I know we can still screw that up, but I guess hence why I'm always picking your brain. I'm always asking you questions as well. But um, I guess and one of his questions was like, you know, what is the ideal diet for a dog? And I know that could be different for everyone, mm. but what would you say can the be a blanket do's rule? And don'ts. Yeah. Um. So there is no easy. You know, this is the perfect diet for this. You know, for a dog. But the best thing that people can do, um, working within their their own constraints because everyone's got like budget restraints and you know the way their lives are sort of set up and managed so you know obviously I prefer people to go as raw as they can Um, I understand a lot of people it's not feasible or you know there's lots of reasons why people feed kibble and continue but even within kibble you know there's such a broad spectrum of you know really really terrible to you know premium and there's some great companies that are doing the best they can within the limits of creating a kibble to give um, one that's less damaging in terms of the ingredients and things like that. But the best, in terms of an ideal diet, it would contain a really wide variety of different foods. So, you know, rotating through all your different muscle meats, your different organs, you know, if you can have whole raw meaty bones in the dog's diet, that's going to be hugely beneficial. I'm a supporter of some plant matter in the dog's diets. So I follow for my dogs and, you know, what I do for my clients is generally recommend a bath style feeding. Um, And I just think there's so much that dogs can gain. I mean, genetically we know that dogs have evolved 
to be able to utilize carbohydrates to a much greater extent than, you know, the wolf, for example. But plant matter has, you know, so many trace nutrients that are fundamental to dogs, like the phytonutrients. There's so much research now on the health benefits for humans and dogs from phytonutrients and not just for health, but if you're talking about behavior in what you're doing, um, again, there's lots of studies to show that phytonutrients can reduce um, like stress and anxiety in dogs um, by reducing cortisol and for senior dogs, you know, it can help with learning and cognition and sort of reducing that cognitive decline that comes with our old, our older dogs. So really just, you know, to come back to the question, the more variety you can feed, the better, the fresher it is, you know, the better. Um, but it doesn't have to be an all or nothing black or white. So you do the best you can because studies have shown that even, you know, 20% of a dog's, you know, kibble diet as um, whether it's plant matter or just sort of raw or cooked food can make a huge difference to longevity, to health, um, to behaviour. So, yeah, I don't know if that helps because it's quite vague, but it no, no, hundred yeah. percent. Sort of doing the best with with the resources that you yeah. have, right? Like, not everyone can obviously afford to have like the most expensive, I guess, raw. Like, obviously, at one end, you've got like companies now where you can buy raw food ready to mm. go, or you know, you maybe you prepare the food, the raw food yourself. So that's at one end, but not everyone has the time, inclination, or budget to go through all of that, right? But yeah. um, I was doing a little bit of research before we um, came on today, Narelle, and. From what I was reading, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, essentially, pet food in Australia is, from what I read, is, you know, it's basically unregulated, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the, they can, there's no real, there's no government standard that's set to say, like, you can't put this in or it must contain a certain percentage of this or that. So, it's kind of like an industry, uh, you know, what do they call it? Like self-regulated, like an agreement amongst the, the dog food manufacturers. Okay, well, mm-hmm. we will or won't do this, but- there's no real like overseer of all of that. Yeah, that's right. And that's scary. So it's a voluntary sort of adherence to a code of conduct that, you know, companies can choose to be part of or not. Um, so that's the thing. There's so much when it comes to animals, whether it's their diet or supplements. That's another thing I have issue with when it comes to animals. So unregulated in comparison to the human equivalents. Um, so you don't, you really, for the most part, don't know what you're giving your dog and you'd have to just trust that um, the company has, you know, is doing the right thing, but, you know, money is the driver and, you know, they will do what they can to sort of make a profit, um, not really caring about our dogs. So Especially when people can get a 20-kilo bag of food from Coles or any supermarket for 20 bucks yeah, and, you know, it's got... Or nice less. colors. I'm not going to say names. Yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad, but you know, um, and then you go, wow, that's super cheap. I can feed three of my dogs, yeah. you know, for 60 bucks every two weeks. And, and for, you know, and for me, like, you know, when I do my, my raw food, um, order, it's like, I think for when I was, when I had Ace as well, so it was two dogs or three dogs, but Nookie doesn't really count a little bit extra from yeah. both their bowls. We'll feed her. She only four kilos. Um, you know, it was like 70 bucks for two weeks of food and that wasn't all their meals because I still mm. added extra different stuff. Mm. So, but you know, the things you, 
you will save in vet bills and also, you know, quality of life. Yeah. Will, but then you also hear other people, they're like, mate, I, I fed the standard kibble to my Kelpie dog, you know, some, some mutt that I got from a friend and the dog lived to like 20 years old. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God, how did that, you know, like it's just so um, so different for every dog. It's hard to have a hard, fast rule. But it is. And I look, I cringe at the a lot of the supermarket kibbles because they're not, to me, they're not even food. They're so a lot of them are almost anti-health um, and anti-nutrition. Like they're mm. putting so much like metabolic stress on the dog's body that it's it's just not good. Um, but again, like you said, so yeah. Narelle, sorry, what's what's a typical like you're talking about the the supermarket kibble? What's say like a really typical ingredient that would be a main ingredient in those kibbles that? you know, is an ideal? What's the, what's something that they're putting in that's really cheap and readily available? So most of the the ch- cheaper, poorer quality, well, yeah, some of the premium ones will do this too. Um, you always want to look at the top. I always educate my clients to look at the top five ingredients, if not the top ten, and you want as many, like, of those top five or ten ingredients to be whole, like, real animal, like, you know, whether it's muscle meat or... So that means the first five or first ten ingredients that are listed on the panel. On yeah, the back you're end. unlikely to get definitely unlikely to get the top ten, but um, top three you want ideally to be animal protein of some sort. But the cheaper ones, you know, you might see corn, rice, soy, um, you know, all of those grains and legumes uh, and starchy sort of ingredients bulking up. Um, you know those. Is that no good? That's, that's not, not good. good. No. So even okay. though our dogs can, you know, technically um, handle higher amounts of carbs, you know, we don't want to give them sixty percent sort of carbohydrate that's just going to get converted into sugar in the body, and you know, it damages the gut. It mm. creates chronic inflammation. It's got this whole cascade of effects on our dogs' bodies. And I actually, just posted a paper on my Facebook page today. It was from 2013, which in research time is quite a while ago, but it was it did a review of the the role that contemporary canine diets, so kibble, um, has on cancer and degenerative diseases in our dogs. So there's a lot of good evidence to show that just the way kibble is manufactured with such high temperatures, you know, creates reactions in the food that then have a detrimental effect on the body and then, you know, you end up with cancer. But... That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. We, we lost one of our dogs or well, my my sort of, uh, what's the word? Like the probably my, you know, fudge, like mm-hmm. my Fair dog much. I always talk about, you know, he was the dog that really made me fall in love with dogs to begin with. We lost him to stomach cancer and sort of looking back, you think like you wonder, you know, yeah. like knowing this sort of information now, you wonder what, like we, we fed him, a mum fed him like um, we would cook him like um, like chicken mince, like just kind of steamed or, you know, What's the word? Like, yeah, steamed with like rice and vegetables. But I don't know. The kibble, he had kibble in there as well. It makes me think like how much of that maybe contributed to a decline in his health mm. later on. Yeah, I mean, I think we all do that. You know, once you know better, you do better sort of thing. Um, but mm. like you said, Panos, it, it's so like with humans, you know, you can have someone that smokes and drinks their whole life and lives till 90 um, and then someone who's so super fit and healthy and has a heart attack on a run or something like that, you know, genetically some yeah. people and some dogs are just mm. more resilient. Um, so it doesn't matter what you give them, they're just going to sort of get through. But then other dogs, 
you know, a lot more sensitive and so it doesn't take as much to sort of tip them over. And, you know, we don't know when we look at a dog which way they're going to go. So you just, you do the best you can. Um, With what you got. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said before, so two things you mentioned, bath. I know what bath means, but for the listeners that don't know what it means, can you explain that? It's, you know, biologically appropriate raw food diet. So it just means that the diet consists of, uh, it could be anywhere from like 60 to 75% muscle meat, um, you know, 15 to 25% organ, well, not that much organ meat. Um, oh, you can, but, you know, 10 to 20% organ meat, uh, 10 to 15% bone. Um, anyway, I tend to feed 10 to 15% plant matter, but you've got that combination. So muscle meat, organ meat, bone and plants. Um and then when you said phyto, phytonutrients, yeah. you mean that's nutrients that come from plants. That's what you mean? Yeah, so plants are dog's sole source of phytonutrients. So uh, phyto means plants. Yep. Um, and like I said, there's a lot of, like there's tons of research for people on the health benefits of phytonutrients in terms of reducing oxidative stress in the body, reducing inflammation, reducing risk factors that lead to like obesity and diabetes and cardiovascular disease and neurological diseases. And the research, there's, a, there's an amazing group. You guys might know them. Um, the Dog Risk Group at the University of Helsinki, they're like at the forefront of research for canine nutrition. So they're looking at a lot of these things in relation to dogs. So, you know, no one else is doing it because there's no money in it. Um, you know, none of the large commercial companies mm. want to, sort of research um, plants and raw food feeding for dogs. But, uh, yeah, so that's really that's really good. Um, so, yeah, phytonutrients, I think. Yeah. It, 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 sorry, go. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you go. Um, <laughs> but in relation to dogs, um, you know, those phytonutrients, they're so unique. And like I said, dogs can't get them from any, anywhere else, um, but they can support detoxification pathways that can support cellular health, um, DNA repair, um, just all the good stuff, <laughs> so, all, the, all the processes yeah. that our dogs and, need. And so I yeah. use, yeah, I, I use raw and fresh, so they deliver to the home. They process all the, the, the meat themselves. I'm pre- I think you, you've um, checked them out as well. You said that they, they're good. Um, and it's convenient. Of course, it, it, I, like I used to bag it up and try to do it all myself, and that's just ridiculous. I got no time for it, and it's gross. So I like to outsource that. And and look, since using them, and that's the only real raw food people I've been using since I've seen a change in Spades' health and energy levels as well. Is two questions I have. First of all, when they, so they have the the vegetable matter, and you can see like the carrots and some other different um, vegetable matter in it. But when they when they shit it out. The the vegetables still there, like you can still see the carrot. Mm. Sometimes, even after it rains, everything else is like wash away. And it's, is that good? It doesn't mean it's been broken down. Or we're really getting into the weeds. Yeah. Now. <laughs> um, look, obviously the dog hasn't broken it down and uh, like digested that properly. Um, you know, okay. maybe your dog might benefit from a digestive enzyme or something. You know, to to help with that. But foods okay. that, like carrot, like carrots, really are better off cooked. They're just one of those foods that the nutrients in carrots are more bioavailable when it's cooked. So a lot of your leafy greens. I'm pretty sure they puree it. Yeah, so slightly different. It's just um, it's just the way carrots are, like carrots and um, some of those hardier sort of vegetables. Because dogs, I mean, they're not optimised 
like our guts, um, you know, for carbohydrate digestion. So I know you can blend and I tell my clients, you know, if you're going to feed veggies, either cook it, um, pulverize them, you know, at least chop everything up really finely. So your dog's got the best chance of getting the nutrition out of it. But I mean, that's, it's no big drama if there's some carrots really common in poo, okay. <laughs> humans and dogs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And look, it hasn't blocked. No one's gotten constipated from it or anything. So yeah. I just thought, oh, well, like you know, it is what it is, and it's better than. Look, I, I really, it really drives me crazy when, like, if you're going to feed fully um, kibble, then it is what mm-hmm. it is. But when someone says the best food you can give your dog comes out of a bag and it's processed, is like, mm-hmm. like you have to be, you have to be pretty simple to believe that that is what it is. Like, what GP? We rec- just lost all the kibble feeders. <laughs> no, well, like I still feed no, some it's kibble, true, right? Like, how well, could like, that possibly be true? Like, the dogs, if a dog was in the wild, he wouldn't be out there eating. Well, like, what GP tells you, eat everything, your whole diet out of a bag, yeah. like that. Like, no GP would say that. But when when a vet says it, we believe it because, and I guess people like to believe it because it's convenient. But it just it just wigs me out. It just trips me out. There's no wild Plus, kibble, kibble manufacturers are probably funding a nice little uh, sojourn for the for the vets every year, but that's a whole other topic. It is. I mean, you can go yeah. down the rabbit hole quite easily with um, all of that, but it doesn't make sense. Like to feed a more processed diet, um, you know, doesn't make sense when we know a whole food diet for ourselves and our pets, you know, is definitely more species appropriate and um, a lot healthier. Like there's no denying that. Yeah. But when you said, I remember you've I've heard you say this before, where when we say raw foods, raw food, but um, when we're giving some organs and some muscle and then a little bit of bone and, and vegetables, that's not nose to tail. Like mm. you know, getting a complete diet and complete nutrition, you've got to eat the entirety of the animal, the skin, the fur, the eyeballs, the brains, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So how do we how do we go about trying to find that balance? Is it worth giving? You know, like so, what I do, and and hopefully I can do things better. Is that maybe let's say out of seven days i'm probably feeding four to five days raw one of those days is bones and then they get like maybe two days a week they get their kibble grain-free kibble and with um with sardines Mm. like would that be a good way of balancing it out or like how can we try to make meet halfway with yeah i mean what you're doing sounds perfectly fine and that's um it's a good variety it's within what's doable for you uh, and it doesn't sound like your dog's going to be missing out on much uh, in, with the way you've set it out. But with the nose to tail, I mean, that is the ideal. I mean, I have no desire to feed. <laughs> My French bulldogs wouldn't even be able to eat sort of fur. Like their teeth are like little nubs in, like in their gums. They've got, that's true. They've got no ability that's true. to eat raw bones. So they, that's what I love about the raw and fresh. Um, their chicken formula has, you know, crushed bone in it so i know my frenchies are going to get their bone calcium requirement without having uh-huh. them choke on a whole raw meaty bone um but what was i saying mm. frenchies aren't exactly at the top of the predator pyramid no like <laughs> seriously if anyone can look in the mouth they're lovable little nuggets but <laughs> then yeah. they didn't win the genetic lottery no just the cuteness one um <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. like it, look it reminds me of uh, like we've touched on the the bath style of feeding, but you know you've got that eighty ten ten sort of ratio feeding, which people will do, which is more, um, you know, more along the lines of what a wolf they say what a wolf would have eaten in terms of just meat. So what's the split there, Narelle? Eighty eighty percent meat, ten percent organ, and ten yep. percent bone. So 
Okay. But again, that it's a really crude ratio. It's not based on science. It can keep your dog alive, but they're mm. going to miss out on so many like key nutrients uh, over the long term. And it's not, you know, it's not the way a wolf, because people always go back to the way wolves, you know, ate. And, you know, it fails to take into account that wolves in different hemispheres, depending on their environment, you know, would eat different plant matter, berries and grasses and things like that. Um, you know, not to mention there's a lot of controversy about eating the stomach content, which contains plant matter. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't support the 80-10-10 style of feeding. And um, even the 2 to 3% body weight, are you familiar with, with that? So it's... No, please tell us more. So a lot of people, if they're raw feeding, to calculate how much to feed their dogs, there's a general guideline that we should be feeding our dogs 2 to 3% of their body weight in food. Um, and look, it's a really... Doesn't that assume that they're in an ideal weight range anyway? Well, there's a lot of mm. scope within the recommendations that you'd feed a little bit more, or a little bit less, or 2.5 or 1.5, depending on where they need to be, if they mm. need to gain weight or lose weight, things like that. So, but it's it's easy and it's a good place for people to start. But it, again, it's not, it's not a linear equation. So like a 50 kilo dog doesn't necessarily eat 10 times more than a five kilo dog. And so it could give your dog too much food or too little food. And if you feed a higher fat, like the, the example I give my clients, just say I calculated that my dog needed 400 grams of food a day, like raw food. And within that 400 grams, there's muscle meat, there's organ meat, you know, there's some bone and there's some plant matter. But if I happen to choose fattier cuts of meat, that 400 grams could give me a thousand calories. If I chose all really lean cuts of meat and no skin on the bone, like a chicken wing or something with no skin, um, that might be 500 calories. So it's the same amount of food, but my dog could blow up, you know, in a really short period of time, depending on the cuts of meat and the, you know, the fat content. So it's sort of, that doesn't make sense to me either, but it's an easy place for people to start. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, I remember I'm reading one of your PDFs that, that I got off your website, um, like raw feeding for puppies yeah. and, and and there was a couple others there. So, I'm working through them and you said that um, feeding chicken regularly isn't good. Now, when I said I've I'm, I'm been feeding my, my dog's raw food, spades, um, nookie basically anything. Um, spades is really sensitive and doesn't like raw beef usually. As in he won't want to eat it? You just sniff it and walk away. And I know what to do and I usually make him eat it. Like I just go, you don't eat. If you don't, you choose not to eat it, man, it's gone. You wait 24 hours until I feed you again. He's been listening to Pat. I've I've done that forever with Ace because he was real fussy. But basically, um, I've just gone, screw it. I'm just going to go chicken and I just, I give him, I, the bones that I give, I do brisket bones, turkey necks or chicken carcasses. You that from the butcher? Um, a lot of it comes from raw and fresh, yeah. Oh, yeah. so I just outsource. And um, but chicken regularly, like all their raw food, is that bad? Should I stop doing that and start mixing it up a little bit more? You should definitely mix it and up. Why? Um, you don't want to always just feed chicken, which a lot of people fall into that trap because chicken's really cheap. It's like the cheapest when you're raw food shopping. Mm. Um, and you know, at the moment, I'm crazy busy and I'm using commercial raw blends too. But I'm rotating three different brands. Raw and fresh is one of them, but it's just on rotation. And every packet, you know, I buy five kilo, you know, 2.5 to five kilo slabs of uh, bath blends for my dogs. Every pack I open is a different 
protein-based. So one might be chicken, the next one's going to be beef, the next one's going to be kangaroo, then turkey, things like that. So chicken, particularly factory farm chicken that we get today, is quite high in omega-6 fatty acids, which are pro-inflammatory in the body. I mean, they do have uh, some benefits, like we need, our dogs need some omega-6, but not to the extent, it's way out of proportion in the current diet to what they need and it can have a very pro-inflammatory effect. It can uh, aggravate allergies and skin conditions and yeasty ears and gut issues. So, yeah, definitely change it up a little bit and not not all chicken. Okay, yep. I will do that. I'll make more of an effort. And the next dog, whenever that is, um, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll make sure that is, is a little bit more. Because like, exp- I've experimented everything with, with my dogs and I think I'll know a little tiny bit better now to, to make better decisions. But um, but look, as I said, if I saw, like I've, I witnessed the change. He hasn't had diarrhea. I think he's had diarrhea twice in the last five years. Um, you know, and actually the last time he got diarrhea, I screwed up. I had a whole bunch of... Um, veal and pork mince left over and I'm like I'll cook it up put some peas in I'll give him a random um, meal so I just and he never eats that and I gave him a whole bowl of it and he had explosive diarrhea for seven days he was sick as and I'm like ooh maybe I screwed him up there I don't know what I did maybe it was a fat content in or maybe because he's just not used to that food Um, I mean probably the fat content but it's really interesting because before I started raw feeding our dogs um, I thought it was just a normal thing for Frenchies like to have to wipe their bum every time they're pooed because there's always like just residue like from sort of runny poo and I'd be like so every time the dog came in I'd be like we had a box of tissues at the back door just for that purpose of wiping the dog's bums after they pooed and like you like ever since I've been on raw I kind of remember the last time our dogs had like soft poo let alone diarrhea um so yeah it's Mm. definitely a game changer when it comes to good poos um, I mean, it's not 100%. Yeah, it's but, awesome, right? Yeah, it does help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Look, I, I, I've, I've seen – and look, and even when a lot of my clients have made that change, um, it does make it hard when, like, if you want to feed existential rewarding with raw food, it does become sloppy and yeah. gross. Um, and kibble is more easier to do that or, or dry food. Um, what dry food do you feed your dogs or what would you recommend? Um, yeah, sorry. So – in addition to like the the raw blends, um, what we use for training for our dogs is Zewi Peak. So to me, I know it's a premium price product, and a lot of people sort of may not may not be within their budget. But Zewi Peak is sort of the closest to raw food that you can get without being raw food, and it's so it's such a great tr- in terms of kibble as well. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, and it's such a convenient training treat because it's you know it's pretty small, it's flat, it's sort of it doesn't sort of they don't have to sit there and chew it you know while you, you're doing your training um so that's that's what we use um and it's such a like you you was, get what you pay for like the quality like i am so such a like fan of seaweed peak if if i'm not giving my dogs raw food so yeah that's that's like anything in life though isn't it you get in you get out what you put in right mm. and i was um side note i was i i i was watching Pat's online course, which is a recording of a seminar that Panos went to last year, and he's talking about how like he only trains with existential food, right? So the food that the dog would mm. otherwise eat, and he's like, "So this is where all the raw food, raw feeders are like." But Pat, I feed raw, and it's like, well, if you have Zwe kibble, it, like you were saying, it's basically as close to raw and being kibble at the same yeah. time as you could possibly get. Yeah, 
Um, uh, and and yes. if you if you are going kibble, is grain free good? Because there's other articles saying that grain free is actually bad for the yeah. dogs, and you may as well give yeah. them cereal and whole grains. You That's know, funded by the pet food companies. I'm sure yeah. <laughs> that research maybe. Look, I mean, the whole grain free debate um, is another whole podcast, but. Um, Grain-free mm. doesn't mean it's a better product at all. So people need to sort of get that out of their minds. It can be just as detrimental health-wise. It can be just, I mean, it's just as processed. It can have all the nasty, potentially, like synthetic additives and flavorings and preservatives and colors, depending on the brand. But it's still really high in carbs. So, you know, grain-free products, a lot of grain-free pro- grain-free products um, can be higher in carbohydrates than grain products. So what carbs do they put in if it's grain-free? So more of your le- legumes, um, peas and legumes, are sort of going to bulk mm. it up in um, things like tapioca and... Corn? Do they put corn? There won't be corn like in there, but that's going to be in your grain. I thought they put like fish meal. Some of them Is corn technically meal. a grain? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. um, that's true. I, thought I mean, fish meal can be in no. either... But in terms of, you know, what they're substituting primarily the grains with, it's going to be all your, like your peas and legumes. But they're still going to have an inflammatory effect on the body. They're still going to affect gut health. They're still going to potentially affect behaviour because of dysregulated blood glucose sort of effects. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'm not sold on – and, you know, there's, then there's the whole DCM um, issue, which, you know, is another – Topic again. What's that? What's this? So the dilated. Oh, now I'm going to forget how to say it. (laughs) The cardiomyopathy in dogs. Um, So enlarged heart. So it comes from a taurine deficiency, and Uh um, that was sort of put out there by a lot of the companies that grain free contributed to this um, condition in dogs. But um, Mm. yeah. So uh, yeah, no. And and in your sorry. I was going to say, in, in your practice, have, have what's your experience with how diet affects behaviour and have you had any experience with giving people um, advice of changing their diet and what sort of behaviour change have you seen, whether it's aggression, anxiety or, or other yeah, ones? Yeah, so, look, the bulk of my clinic for dog clients actually revolves around allergies and skin issues, um, which is interesting. But I do, because of where I'm located and I sort of, I mean, communication with some trainers pretty closely and they'll often run cases by me and refer behavioural cases to me. So we'll always, um, if it's an aggression issue, we'll test um, T4 for thyroid function and if that comes back low, so even what's called subclinical hypo or underactive thyroid can um, be a driver for aggression in dogs. So we test that to rule that out as part of the, you know, the bigger picture of what might be going on. But if that comes back low, so I can look at dietary support for thyroid health in the dog. Um, what else? But just, you know, often I will sort of try and transition them to at least if they're 100% kibble, I'll try and get them less kibble. So, you know, even if it's a 50% sort of raw food um, or even some of those loaves like the Prime 100 sort of loaves, that people find convenient if they don't like dealing with raw food. Um, but that can have a marked. So it is quite common for people to actually just feed their dogs kibble, right? Like I guess I, yeah. I never really thought of it that way, but that that, that is quite That's common. That's the right? norm. I think because we tend to move in circles and, you know, part of forums 
that mm. quote unquote dog. We are quote unquote dog people, yeah. right? Being trainers or in that sort of circle. Yeah. So I think our exposure is quite different, and what we consider normal is quite different from the average sort of pet owner. Um, that's certainly my experience with people who come because often I'll see human clients and then they'll see that I treat dogs and they'll be like, oh, by the way, and they'll start telling me about their dog and I think 100% of them are feeding 100% kibble. Um, so, yeah, it is quite mm. common. But, I mean, if you look at nutrition. One of the guys on. Um, on... Sorry, go. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom kills me. It's so yeah. hard to get the like back and forth. Yeah. Um, one of the guys on the NDTF course is a um, dog handler and, you know, on one of the days I think Kana took us um, in place of Glenn and she was, you know, we're talking about dog food and, and the basics of that and um, I asked him, I said, what do you guys feed your dogs? And, he, you know, he told me the brand that they use and it's like one of the most common known brands, like the really cheap ones. And I was like, oh, why do you use that? He goes, like, because it's cheap. He's like, mm. we buy it by the container load, literally like shipping container load, you know. He's like, we have a con- shipping container at work mm. and it's just like we have free access to that and that's what we feed the dogs because it's cheap. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. But, um, you know, I know Glenn and I have spoken about it on the Canine Paradigm like way back um, that with our, one of our French Bulldogs when we transitioned him from kibble to raw, the change in his behaviour, like his whole demeanour went from like this just – I don't know, depressed little man um, to just having so much energy and just being so vibrant. Like he's, it's like he just came out of his shell um, all of a sudden. And, you know, over a few weeks, we're both sort of looking at each other going, what's wrong with um, Opie? And it's just that he had more energy. He was more um, excited about life. And, and I do, I see that with clients, dogs as well. And, and, so if I've got a dog in for a consult that's got behavioural issues, um, one, we look at thyroid and, you know, two, we try and get them into a more species-appropriate, less inflammatory sort of diet, um, making sure they're getting all their essential fatty acids. So that's huge for, you know, cognition and learning and behaviour. Um, what else do I do? <laughs> I've gone blank on what else I do with hey, my dogs. Yeah. Just, just quickly yeah. as well, I can attest to the like uh, vivaciousness of Opie um, yeah. and Pixel because, as a quick side note, um, as Narelle know and Panos knows, um, on like the second day of the NDTF course, um, after the course that the, we were finished for the day, my car wouldn't start, um, and like long story short, I ended up. Um, in your house, yep. <laughs> Narelle, and you, you had to like give me a, a, a little quick dinner and a cup of tea while I waited for the NRMA guy and, and then my girlfriend to come and sort me out. But, you know, Opie and Pixel were just running all over the place and like, so you know, just little energy, balls of energy, little fur balls. Like when Pixel came in while Glenn was doing the complex skill training, you know, she's quite a, a bit of a nervous little dog and he explained to us like she was the runt of the litter and mm. that kind of thing. But when I came into your house, she was just like a different dog, you know, and same with Opie. Like, he's just so Yeah, how about when he staunches the, the, um, the vase yeah, with oh, the flowers? Yeah, yeah, he's very That's special. That's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, you know how you said before, so, so two things that I could say is that if, if we're not feeding nose to tail and we're feeding a bath style but we're not giving eyeballs and brains to dogs because yeah. we don't really have access to yeah. that, which I wonder what happens to all the eyeballs of all the animals we eat anyway. But um, so then – and if we're not going any kibble or any um, like Zeewee Peak or anything like that, then you would have to supplement, right? Or you can get away with 100% bath style 
raw feeding? It's it's really hard not to supplement. So I formulate a lot of uh, raw food recipes for clients and it's just tricky. Like even iodine, for example, is one of the hardest um, nutrients to balance in a raw food diet because at the soils in Australia are so depleted and, you know, other countries, New Zealand, I think, but I think Australia is one of the worst countries for um, iodine deficiency in our soils, which is why they fortify a lot of um, cereal grains for human consumption because that's really important for pregnancy and preventing neural tube defects in babies. But, you know, not many foods contain, like you've got sort of your oysters and sort of your sardines and things like that, but, and like your seaweeds, but you're not going to give your dog enough of them to get the iodine levels they need. And even the amount of iodine, um, like the nutrient databases say they might give a value, but a lot of the time they don't give a value for iodine because it's so variable. And so, yeah, I usually recommend people supplement with a kelp powder to get the iodine that they need. Um, vitamin. So then should we be blood testing our dogs regularly to see if they're deficient? And would you say everyone should be doing that with their dogs um, if they're on a full raw food diet or any diet for that matter? I think it's good to monitor. I mean, I say this to my human clients as well as my dog clients. I think if not every year, I think every couple of years we should be just running some routine blood panels on ourselves and our dogs to sort of track where things are at because it's much better. You know, the earlier we can catch things, the better. Um, so it's like a benchmark, right? It's like knowing where you are so you can know where you need to go. Yeah. And, you know, you can still present and like well and feel, you know, okay. Like there might just be some subtle things going on that you're like, oh, but that's just because I'm working too hard or, you know, and our dogs, like you said, they can't tell us how they're feeling. Um, so, you know, you could yeah. go like one of my clients, I think her dog's about three years old and had a health sort of scare. And so she got bloods done and they were so out of range for so many different parameters. And I said to her, I said, do you have any previous bloods that I can, because history and trend is really important. So, um, and she's like, oh, no, I never thought to do blood tests on my dogs. I'm like, oh, so we don't know if that's sort of the normal for that dog, like if that's the way it's been for the last couple of years or if it's the sudden sort of acute onset sort of exacerbation of something. Um, So we're going to get bloods done in another few, like, I said, wait another month and get some more bloods done. Um, but, yeah, it's good to – I think everyone should just be tracking – and it's not that expensive in the big scheme of owning a dog. You know, it might be – No, for sure. hundred – Well, like, you know, I, I remember I'd go to my vet, like, like normally once a year I'd go, then just get blood tests and just a general checkup, and the vets are like, what are you blood testing for? I'm like, bro, I just want to do it. Let's just get yeah. it done. Isn't that interesting that the vet is like, why are you why? doing this? Like, nothing's like, wrong. I'm shouldn't- like – no, not shouldn't, but like you would think that because like if you go to your, if I go to my GP, my GP is actually quite um, proactive in this kind of thing. Like you know, if I go and if they can see I haven't been there in, in like let's say six months or plus, they'll be like, you know, why don't you get your bloods done, kind of thing? Because it's not like it's not like it costs me anything. Like yeah. it's all bulk build, right? And I can just get a blood panel done and be like, okay, this is missing or this is too high, too. Well, low, like, kind of thing. and then and then the next thing is, all right, we do the blood test and we see within range. Two things that I think about is are those range like, oh, they're within range of yeah, not dying, yeah. but does that mean that they're in the optimal range? And then also, like, I remember I'd 
I wanted to check for allergies because it was something just for me personally. And I had to have my, my wife's cousin, she's a nutritionist. She had to give me uh, like a prescription or some sort of list of, yeah, you got to check for these things. Yeah. So what the doctor would normally check and then what we actually want to look at is not even an option. I had to pay extra for it. And I actually found out that I'm mildly allergic to dogs. Oh, no. so <laughs> um, I knew that already. All That's the short hair. <laughs> yeah, staffy dogs, short hair dogs, they give me a rash sometimes. Um, but yeah, so you don't even know what you're mm. looking for. And then with the, when they are in the normal MA, you know, like I remember I checked Spades. He got a blood test recently. So every two years or every year he's had blood. So yeah. I'm always checking and being on top of it. And um, But then I remember my vet said he's kind of close to a thyroid thing. So maybe I need to ask your advice, maybe mm. off air or maybe here to find how do I – fix that again but i do want to double check that that's the case before we start supplementing him but yeah. that's what i mean it gets so complicated even for myself what vitamins do you take vitamin c multi-mineral maybe some fish oil and then yeah. do we go down the rabbit hole and have like a plate full of pills like we're you know it's so crazy it is. and um you're right like the reference range thing does my head in with my particularly my human clients the dog clients as well because um it can shift between pathology labs so What's really interesting, and I was doing like a human like diagnostic masterclass recently and like the reference range for liver enzymes is higher in like northern parts of Australia, so, which means you can have like worse functioning liver, you know, if you live in the top end of Australia before it's abnormal. But, but because wow. they consume more alcohol, this is a really broad statement, but because the pathology companies see people with generally higher liver enzymes, they've shifted the reference range to to make that the new normal. So it's wow, that's it is crazy. crazy. <laughs> um, like it blew my mind when I realised that the companies, yeah, they shift the range depending on sort of the bulk of what they see come through and that becomes their new norm. Um, wow. But, yeah, with supplements, it's... It's hard. Like I've never been a big one for supplements for my dogs until Ladybug, who you mentioned that um, had her accident. So I've always given them some like psyllium here and there, you know, to support gut health and bowel health. But now I have a tray of supplements for Ladybug. But, you know, you, again, it's situational. So generally I'm pretty confident that my dogs yeah. are getting most of what they need nutritionally. So I, I don't feel compelled to supplement just in case. But, you know, with ladybug, if a dog's compromised in any way, you know, their metabolic needs for nutrients increases. So sort of a standard diet probably won't um, hit the spot for those dogs. So, yeah, ladybug's on, gosh, probably at least 10 different supplements at the moment, so herbal and nutritional, just to support her recovery. just for the listeners, yeah. Narelle, um, you obviously just said Ladybug's yeah. recovery. Obviously, you've got your own podcast and there's a whole episode um, on Ladybug's story yeah. as well. And when Glenn told me, told us, told me and, you know, the other students at the NDTF this story, I was, my mind was blown and then I listened yeah. to the episode of your podcast. But maybe just give the listeners a quick rundown of, of what happened with Ladybug. And just a quick background as well because um, – you know, I'm a member of Glenn and Pat's um, Patreon for the Canine Paradigm, so I'm familiar with what um, Glenn had, uh, you know, one of the 
um, videos as part of the Patreon content Glenn had um, put on there was teaching Ladybug how to stand on like a, a medicine ball yeah. and, and have her photo taken and that kind of thing. So complex skill shaping basically. But, yeah. um, you know, she she had a, a, a rather nasty accident recently. So can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, just super briefly, we just found her one day with complete paralysis of her rear end. So mid-spine down, she had no feeling, no movement, so couldn't use her back legs. Um, she had spinal surgery and um, has just over the last five months we've basically been trying to teach her to walk again and doing everything we can physically and nutritionally to support um, tissue healing and repair nerve regeneration um, just overall health and well-being so I've just you know when you're in desperate times you know calls for desperate measures so I've literally just for sure. hit her with everything that I think would benefit her internally and externally in terms of the physiotherapy side of things as well. Um, yes. And it would be ideal that we didn't have to supplement in the real world, right? Like if we lived in a on an island that was full mm-hmm. nutrient-dense soil and eating, you know, as healthy as possible, organic, all that stuff, then supplements isn't needed because at some stage we were getting what – our mm. our body required like we talk about oh the what the wolf eats well a cavoodle's not a yeah. wolf because even a human's not a a chimp like b- bonobo that lived a hundred thousand years ago and what they ate and what we eat now may differ because we've changed our genetics have changed along the way so absolutely you know like it, and yeah. as i said getting so complicated um oh gosh you said something i'm like I was going to jump on it and I've forgotten Bonobos. what it was now. Um, oh, that's right. What the wolves you say, cavoodles? Um, I agree with that. You know, dogs aren't wolves <laughs> and, you know, like we're not chimp-like sort of ancestors. Um, you know, your genetics and where you originated from in the world has a huge bearing on how you handle different foods. Uh, we know a lot of the Asian cultures don't handle, you know, lactose very well. But what I was going to say is it's with and the reason a lot of the time that we need to supplement people and dogs is we fall into ruts with nutrition. So most people um, themselves don't eat a wide variety of different foods. So we just fall into that convenience of what we know and what we like. So we tend to have the same breakfast every day, you know, very similar lunch, similar snacks. Dinners might just be a different protein, but same sort of veg every night. So if people really assess their diet and sort of a guideline is that you should be eating about 30 different plant foods a week and, you know, most people can't get anywhere near to that. And we do that with our dogs. So the risk with, which is why, you know, commercial raw food blends are great when you can rotate through the different, like, flavours and the different brands mm. to, because everyone's going to have a different nutritional profile and, and offer different variety to the dogs. Yeah, but people fall... Like when I create recipes for my clients, I always tell them, like, this is not what you feed your dog for the rest of its life. Um, You know, this is just one recipe for, you know, this week and you rotate it with other recipes, you know, throughout the dog's time um, to make sure that they are getting that, that nutritional profile that they need. And then, you know, it's quite scary with humans. Like they've done, you know, massive surveys with tens of thousands of people and like US data is usually on par with what how we are in Australia, but like ninety five percent ninety five percent of people aren't hitting like even the the recommended daily intake for vitamin D. Fifty percent of people don't hit the recommended intake for vitamin C even. Um, and it's just 
it's mm. so scary um, and that's why we need to supplement. So if I've got clients, you know, and I look at their diet diaries, whether it's their dog's diet diary or their human diet diary, um, you know, I can see the gaps and I can see the sort of the repeated foods and, and what they might be missing. So I do believe in supplementation um, usually for the short term, but there's people that just don't want to change. Like they want that convenience. They want that pill so they can just keep eating the way they're eating and, you know, try yeah. and feel a bit better by taking a supplement, but it's not it's not the ideal way to approach it. But people are creatures of habit. Well, I was... Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I was reading your um, one of the the books you um you put together, and and it was saying how oh so too much um, omega six in chicken, you need to offset it by giving more vitamin um for more omega three. Yeah. And I That's thought fish, right? Omega three, omega three is yeah, fatty fish. fish, perfect. Yep. Yeah, and then I thought, well, then on the off days, I'm giving sardines to my dog and tuna with the kibble. Does that does it work that way, or does it have to be in the meal itself? It has to be balanced. I'm not that particular um, that I'm like you have to put the sardines with the chicken. Um, I think if your dogs are getting that sort of broad range of different foods across their week, that's fine. They're still getting the nutrients, and it's balance over time. Okay. Like that's really what we mm. want to aim for because, I mean, it is hard to feed every meal unless you're like, some people love it. Um, like some humans want me to tell them every macro and micronutrient to have in every meal every day for like a month. And I'm like, that's not living. Like that's not how, you know, you should be. That's, that's hard. Yeah, but they, <laughs> that's what they want because that's easier. So they, they're so structured and some people are like that with dogs, but generally I don't recommend people feed that way if they're just feeding a variety over time. Perfect. Yeah. And and is this bad um, for me when people ask how many cups or how much should I feed? I'm like, look, this is how I feed. I chuck some food in the bowl. I look at the dog. If he starts getting fat, I drop it. If he's skinny, I add more. I don't weigh food. Like maybe that's just because um, of my upbringing and stuff. You eat when you're hungry and whatever. Yeah. Um, but w- what do you reckon about that? Like with humans, they say like you should have like I- I've I've well I've been I've been taught this and learned this before. It's like let's say you have a plate, um, you should have like say one palm or one fist of protein and then two fists or two palms of vegetables, mm-hmm. that kind of way, because mm-hmm. that's like the human stomach is like the size of your fist, yeah. basically. So, I don't know how it works with dogs. So, how do, how do we know how much to feed our dogs now? Um, so, that's true with humans and they need to have those guidelines because perceptions of portion control is just completely out the window with people. So, you know, what we think is a healthy portion is probably three, four times what we actually need to be consuming. But I'm like you, Panos, I don't... I don't weigh my food even when I'm raw food feeding. I eyeball my dogs. I know roughly what the energy content is of the food that I'm feeding anyway. And, you know, I'm just, yeah, I just, if it's in the ballpark, great. And with Frenchies, it's really easy to see when they gain or lose weight, like within days you can, or a week, you know, you can see that shift. And it's like, oh, you know, I better cut down. Like with the NDTF training with Pixel, she's getting all those Zewe Peak treats um, during training <laughs> and like there's sometimes where I don't realize Glenn's using her and I'll keep giving her regular meals she gets fed twice a day and I won't cut them back and at the end of the week I'm like why are you so fat and then I'm like Glenn, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's because she learned how to ride a skateboard and we yeah. fucking rewarded her for it <laughs> but it's, it's really quick to see so uh, 
I think when people are starting out, if they follow some formal guidelines, you know, great to get a sort of an idea of where their dogs sort of should sit. But, yeah, it's, and even if they're following a kibble packet instructions, you know, even that can vary significantly for different dogs based on their metabolism, their energy levels, you know, their stress levels. Um, So there's no, there's no easy answer to people for that one. For sure. Uh, And I think every question I'm going to give you or we're going to give you, it will never have an easy answer, I don't think. I've got two questions um, that I want to ask you. One has two parts. I want to talk about shit. Um, Number one is how many times should a dog do a poo in a day? Is it normal for three poos, one poo? Um, Some of my clients, I'm like, the dog's shitting six times a day. I'm like, I think you're feeding your dog too much and you're probably not exercising him enough to use it, but Mm. what the hell do I know? I'm just giving you my perspective. Um, There's no shit module in the NDTF, so. I know, what the hell? Um, I think two is it normal, maybe two. What do you reckon? Um, it's funny, there was no shit module in any of my educational training either. So, although not, not for dogs, <laughs> as a naturopath. We need to get a shit doctor on. <laughs> as a clinical naturopath, every client, um, if you're ever my client, I will ask you every time I see you about your bowel habits. Um, it's just poo is important for as a marker of health. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. I've got no problem talking about anything that comes out of the body. Um, But for dogs, it does vary. I think two to three times is average and fairly normal. I think if it's, um, if people are feeding once a day and the dog's defecating once a day, you know, that could be completely normal and healthy for that dog. It's, again, it depends on their gut health. It depends, um, you know, there's a lot of factors that could come into what could cause problems. But if a dog's going like six or more times a day, I'd be like, okay, something's that's a something's lot. going that's on crazy. there that's, that's a feeding a lot of food, aggravating yeah. the intestines, and maybe because the risk is, I mean, it depends on if it's well formed as well. So if it's loose, you know, there's a risk of nutrient malabsorption. But if it's well formed, maybe that dog's just got a faster transit time. For some reason, um, I think what's important is always like people picking up their dogs poo every day, so they know where the dog's yeah. health is. Where if you just pick up once a week, you don't know if the dog had diarrhea three days ago, and then you didn't yeah. help. Like you know, if your dog has diarrhea, typically you'd give like chicken and rice for a day or two until it clears up. Where how do you know to do that? You keep you know um, if, um, inflaming your dog's guts yeah. by giving it too much raw, um, rich food or whatever, you know. And I told clients like you know when i go in the yard and they're like oh shit we got to pick it up and there's like shit everywhere is that well first of all it's gross but also you should be doing it regularly so you know where your dog's at you know yeah i look again i tell my human clients they should be looking at their poo every time they go um a lot of people do a lot of people don't um but yeah you should be scooping your dog's poo every day (laughs) like i i would find it really weird to not know what my dog's poos are like on a daily basis um, as a marker of health. So it's, a, it's such a good marker of how they're going. And, yeah, if their diet's appropriate or if there's something else going on that you don't know about. So, yeah. My second part of the poo question is, and people always ask me about poo eating. I've actually asked you because Nookie, actually I caught her the other day, um, she hasn't done it in a while. I've been picking up her poos, yeah. and I know when she hasn't been eating them is because I actually have something to pick yeah. up. Um, the other day I was walking out Leonardo in my arms, I'm Leonardo, my son, 
And I just saw her. She backed one out. She turned around and went to eat it. And I just went like, oh, what the fuck? And I full like screamed at her. And then Leonardo started crying. I forgot I was holding him. So I'm like, note, note to self, don't scream next to his ear. That's one and- win, one loss. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, and we've spoken about it. So to, like, and things that I know, so I'll tell you what I think and what I've been telling people, and then you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, is it could either be a B vitamin deficiency or some sort of enzyme mm. deficiency that they can find in their feces. Or she's just sick in the head. Or, or she's just hungry, right? And she just sees it as food. So those are my – or it could be a habit that they learnt when in the litter mm. um, where they weren't get adequately getting fed, so they eat their shit. So what, what are your thoughts on uh, that? Look, I've looked into this and I've listened to different vets and different authorities on the poo eating question and there is no – I don't think anyone really knows and it probably differs across That's really different good to dogs. Know. So Pixel um, is a poo eater. She's not – she doesn't eat every poo but um, – she sleeps in the bathroom and some nights, you know, I can see that there was a poo there and it's no longer there and I know, you know, she's eating it. Mm. Um, Gross. I watched her eat um, Opie's spew as well. Yeah, she's. <laughs> oh, wait, was the other way around? One of them ate the other one. Yeah, spew. no, it was pixelate. <laughs> when I knocked on yeah. the door, yeah, yeah they got one of them got really, yeah, Opie got really excited and then like bathed <laughs> on the ground and Pixel was straight into it. Yeah, Opie's got a propensity to vomit when we have guests because he gets so excited. So it's like, welcome to our home. Projectile. Here's some dog vomit. Um, I'm so excited, Bob. Basically, yeah. uh, look, I just think, you know, for some dogs it might just taste nice. So it's like a self rewarding, you know, reinforcing behavior. Um, yeah, it could be habit. It just, yeah, I don't have a, I don't have an answer for that. It- Are you super concerned? Concerned if you do see it, or and and what would you, what would your general advice be? Like what I tell people is give them, um, give your dog a more raw red meat, which has more vitamin mm. B, maybe more enzymes. There are supplements that can give the dog enzymes, or just make sure that you cat, you know, you're crate training your dog and you're watching when the does a poo so you can pick it up. Yeah. Would, am I along the right lines giving that advice? Yeah, look, people need to consider the environment where it, it might happen more often. Like, are they in a small environment and it's more just a cleanliness sort of thing? It's in my den sort of space, so I'm going to eat it. But I don't know about the B vitamin thing. Okay. <laughs> um, so I cool. mean, because since Bugs accident, she's on a B vitamin complex and because I'm giving it to her food, I've just been throwing it in the other dog's food as well. And um, they're on like plenty of bees and she's still eating her poo. But it's not going to hurt. So it won't hurt people to try it. That's the thing. So people can try digestive enzymes. They can try some B vitamins and and just see what what happens. Yeah. I got one of my clients because it was a puppy that does it. I know a lot of puppies do it and they grow out of it around the six, yeah. seven months old. And I got them to get cayenne pepper. And as soon as they saw the dog um, do a poo, I got them to remove it, chuck cayenne pepper on top of the poo. The dog came back, ate it, and then like freaked out, spat it out and ran away from it. And that was the end of that dog eating poo. Mm. So it happened yeah. once and it worked. And I don't know if, if that's, if cayenne pepper is good learning. for dogs. Um, hopefully. Um, yeah, I mean, no, that's good it to is know. a normal um, and, behavior. And I mean, if you make anything aversive enough, it's going to deter a dog. So that was just worked out well for that puppy. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Actually, something that I watched, this wasn't my, my last question, but um, I was watching like a docker where they had Indian wolves. They were watching Indian wolves and, like uh, you know, different behaviours. And when there was time where there was less um, um, food for them, like um, like real and like prey food, they were eating the bananas hanging off the low-lying branches mm. and they were 
like legit eating the bananas full on. Um, and that was like something they did for weeks on end because that was the only source of food that they can find. And I thought, I thought most dogs or, you know, canids got their, um, their, phytonutrients from the intestines of an animal rather than actually eating it raw from the tree. So that was pretty interesting. Well, there's lots of documented evidence for, again, most of it's around wolves, um, eating lots of fresh plant matters and berries. You know, again, depends on their location and sort of the climate that they're in. But, yeah, it's not just about the intestinal sort of plant mass um, at all. So. That doesn't that doesn't mean you should make give your dog a vegan diet. I had a client, and we've actually mm-hmm. spoken up when I when I heard that they were feeding their dog vegan because of ethical reasons, not because of dietary reasons, and mm-hmm. I was upset at Did them. Do you remind them there's no ethics in nature? Oh, look, I, I it was first ethics first is session. A, is, ethics is a human. <laughs> A function of human cognition, not yeah. something that occurs in nature. Look, I gave my opinion, but I didn't want to like make the beginning of the session super awkward for everyone. So I just told them, "Look, I don't, I don't agree, and I and I don't recommend it. Mm. But if you're going to do it, and actually we spoke, and there was a certain brand that um that they were feeding, and you said, look, a dog can survive from a mm. vegan diet, but they will never thrive. Um, and you know, another point is dogs have canines for a reason because they're supposed to take down yeah. prey. And, Unless they're um, French bulldogs. But one thing that they said was, "We're going to reg." <laughs> yeah, that's true, right? Um, but look, I I was concerned, and I think that was that was crazy. And I think anyone that look each of their own, mm-hmm. you do what you do with your dog. But um, I don't recommend it. I think it's complete lunacy. But it is what it is. Um, with puppies, what 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 would be um an advi- an advisable diet for a puppy? Um, uh, my thoughts are if you're gonna give raw, I'd say like raw in the morning and some, and if you can do raw again, or even like the your your premium mm. kibble. Whether yeah, is there like a a, 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 a a bottom? What's the word? Like a minimum age before which you wouldn't feed raw. No, puppies from as soon as they can start eating anything can be on raw raw blends like raw meat bone meaty bones like chicken necks things like that depends on the breed you know what you you can give them um but there's no there's no minimum age as soon as they can eat they can they can eat raw no problems but um i agree with you panos about the the vegan diet for dogs i don't think it's um appropriate at all i think it's it just doesn't make sense to me and i know that you know they do it for ethical reasons or you know there's other reasons too but a lot of vegans, you know, a lot of their philosophy and their, you know, revolves around um, sort of whole foods and sort of natural approaches. But a vegan kibble is still a kibble. It's so highly processed and everything in there to make it complete and balanced nutritionally is synthetic for the most, you know. So that, yeah. it just, so that's sort of a, to me, I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense if, as a vegan, if you believe in sort of a more whole food diet and all you're giving is a synthetic kibble so your dog survives yeah that's what we were talking about before like the dog the dogs can't we have to represent dogs the dog can't say this is an inappropriate diet for me whether that's this or that and let's say let's take a vegan diet for example like the dog can't tell you this is a biologically inappropriate diet for me you have to you have to have the wherewithal and and be able to represent your dog and and feed them an appropriate diet Look, I've got heaps of clients that are vegan and they still feed their dogs appropriately. So, yeah, exactly. you know, it just depends on where your mind's at and how much you want to force nature to, to 
to be under your control. But, you know, yeah. look, I think we don't have to even discuss much about it. We, we all, you know, m- most people with, with a good amount of common sense knows that that's not appropriate, in my opinion anyway. What's, um, um, what's really funny, most people don't realise that even a non-vegan kibble, like most poorer quality kibbles on the market are probably more vegan or vegetarian than than not. So if if a bag of kibble says it's mm. beef flavoured, it can have absolutely no meat in it at all, but they've got a big steak on the front and, you know, beef flavoured. Or if it says it's with yeah. beef, it can have like up to 3% of actual meat in it. So, and the rest is just grain and, mm. you know, carbs and just crap. It's it's scary. So You get what you pay yeah. for. Yeah. yeah. Um, but sorry, Craziness. coming back. I, I think I've... Oh, Sorry, I don't know how we're going for time. So, no, we can go for a <laughs> time. You just, you go I was just going to come back to your puppy question. So, um, please. It it depends on what people want to do. So, if they want to feed raw, they can either feed a commercial. For puppies, I tend to tell people, unless you know what you're doing, do the commercial puppy raw food blend. So you know that the pups get in the the right amount of calcium and nutrients that they need to sort of grow properly because that's where you know a home prepared diet if you've never done it before and suddenly you've got like a eight week old pup you you can probably do some damage if if you're not careful um or doing half half like you said you know you might do some raw and then do some sort of a puppy more of a higher quality puppy kibble to make sure again that they're getting everything they need to grow properly yeah so and that can work as well because especially if you want to feed your dog food like treats you can use the kibble and then you can then feed kong full of um, raw food on the times where you're not going to be working the dog yeah and look even as an example like all our dogs are raw um plus zeewee peak but when we had we had a litter of french bulldog puppies um that we bred and i knew that it wasn't like it wasn't realistic to expect any of the new puppy owners to feed 100 percent raw so i didn't want to set the puppies up on a raw food diet um, you know, before they went to their new homes and then suddenly they transitioned to 100% yeah. kibble. So what I did is what I thought would be most realistic for the new owners was like 50% of the raw patties because, you know, French Bulldogs, it's a lot easier to do those commercial patties economically because they don't eat much. And then I yep. just picked what I thought would be uh, a reasonable kibble. It wasn't even like a premium, premium one that I would pick if I was going to pick it for my dogs. But I'm like, what? Can most pet owners who are going to buy my puppies, like, access? What are they going to be prepared to pay? And what can I recommend that's better than average but not going to blow their budget? And, if you know, and if they want more advice, I can shift them to something better. But I set them up from the word go with something that I knew that the owners could follow on with um, without shocking the puppies, you know, with drastic diet changes. So it's... Yeah, that's a good yeah. point, right? Because if you if you set them up on a massively raw diet and then they go to the owners and they just switch to like cheap kibble, that's just as just as bad. Yeah, I guess. so I, I absolutely didn't want that, which is why I tried to make it as realistic as possible and easy as possible for the new owners. And I, even when they came to pick the puppies well, up, well, I, can- I t- took them into the kitchen. And I said, "This is how you make the meal. This is how you open the patty. This is how you know. This is how much of the kibble you yeah. need to use." And I just showed them how easy it was and. Just to be sure that they would do it, yeah. With the um, feeding of a puppy, I, this is my advice. And again, correct me if, if you think I'm I'm wrong or where I could add to it is that I would say 
three times a day for a puppy up to six months. Six months or 12 months, you can feed twice, mm-hmm. and then you can feed a dog once a day from a year onwards. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I would say. Definitely three meals up to six months. Uh, I've always kept, like our shepherd, Randy, is on one meal a day. Um, I prefer to give my Frenchies two meals a day, even though they're like, you know, four and five years, you know, they're different ages, but, um, you know, they're older dogs. So it's, there's no rules, but once you've got an adult dog, like more than two times a day is unnecessary. Um, but yeah, once or twice is fine. Is it more biologically appropriate for a dog to eat once a day because they're more of a gorge eater rather than a grazer? Yeah, look, it is. And there's a lot of benefits to the dog fasting for that 24 hours as well. Um, smaller dogs have faster metabolism, so they can often burn through their foods more quickly. And, you know, you might even see some behavioural changes in a small dog that gets agitated or if it hasn't eaten in a certain period of, you know, twice a day, for example. Um, like 24 hours might be too long for a small dog. If you've got an older dog or an, a dog that's got health problems, again, you have to be careful with how long you sort of leave it for feeding as well. And if you've got a dog for sure. that's got gut issues, like it might have be prone to diarrhoea or, you know, vomiting, things like that, one massive meal a day might be such a burden on their, like, digestive system mm. that it might just pass through and, you know, they may not have the capacity like enzyme-wise and gastric acid-wise to really break down that food and absorb the nutrients from it before it passes through. So it's the same with people. You know, when we have massive meals, that's a huge burden. I know dogs are designed for it less, uh, more so than we are, but it depends on. So there, there are instances with certain dogs where one massive meal may be detrimental um, but for, you know, a healthy, large breed dog, yeah, one meal for sure is fine. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm going to wrap it up because I should go home and help with baby duties. Yeah. Um, but it's been such an awesome conversation. I'm sure, I'm sure we can do this for another six more hours plus. Tell the people how um, how they can find you, Nouriel. So you, we mentioned your podcast, but you, you've also got your um, your business on site there at Jewel. Yeah, so my main business is natural health and nutrition. So people can go to my website, naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au. Um, I've also got a Facebook page under the Natural Health and Nutrition sort of title. And then I've got the Natural Health for People and Pets, which is um, to support my podcast. So any of those avenues will find me. Or if you know Glenn, just email him. And definitely check out those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Check out those PDFs that Neural's got on her website. They're, they're really informative. Actually, I love the beginning. I'm still going through um, a lot of the, the, the introduction, the fundamentals, and I love that you've given the option of giving some of the science yeah. rather than saying just do this. And I'm the, I'm the type of guy that goes, but why, but why? And a mm. lot of it's there. Um, your podcast so far has been awesome. Um, and I was actually supposed to be at your seminar a couple of weeks or months ago, months whenever it was now. supposed to be. Every month is mushed yeah. together now. Thanks, months. COVID. Yeah. yeah, COVID. And I just saw an email that you're um, that, that you're giving the refund back until um, a later date. So it's um, it's unfortunate for you because I was really super looking forward to it, but I'm sure maybe sometime next year we can do that oh, again, it's right? It's just been crazy. Like it was supposed to be in April that I did my seminar, my nutrition seminar in Sydney, and every month I'm like just monitoring COVID and I, it just never feels like a right time to bring a group of people together sort of and, and do it and yeah. I need to feel good about it and not put anyone at risk. So it's just sure. I'm at the point now where I, I just I'm not sure if it's even going to happen this year. So, you know, hopefully 2021 is a bit more optimistic um, in terms of seminars. 
For sure. Well, I'm sure um, people that have enjoyed this, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to appreciate um, all the information and your your wisdom today. It, it's been really awesome. But, yeah, definitely check out Narelle's work. Um, you can really see how much you actually do research and put the effort in um, from everything that I listen to and, of course, even this conversation. Um, you know, it's it's you're really doing massive, massive favours for everybody. So I really do appreciate your Thanks, time. Dennis. And it's um and and we, and we're definitely going to get you on again um and sometime in the future because I'm sure there'll be other questions that have come up for us. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I'd love to come back and I'll try and get a better audio and visual set up <laughs> next time. But I hope. No, you we know, should do a four way with Glenn as well. I reckon. Yeah, we can do a big podcast party. Well, maybe yeah, yeah. Well, next time <laughs> I should come come to you guys and um sit in the studio with you. That would be great. Bring Glenn. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, no problem. Look, it's it's worked out well, and and it's awesome. But um, again, really appreciate everything. And maybe after this, get some rest. Seven days in a row, you need to look after no yourself. Rest for the wicked, you know how it goes. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Thanks, guys. I know how it is. I know how it is. Right. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Narelle. Thank you for listening to another show of Life with Your Dog. Please like, rate, and share if you're enjoying our podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. For all dog training videos, tips, and techniques, visit nooches.com.au. Thank you, and stay tuned for next time.